Welcome, everybody, to another episode of 2MFers. I am Brax Nightfighter, and as always, joining me, we have Rem. Rem, how are we doing tonight? Doing great. Really happy to be here. Uh, it's been too long since we've done one of these. Absolutely. Um, and tonight, we have a special guest. Uh, Lab Monkey is joining us. Lab, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well tonight, fellas. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, super excited to have you on. So we are con continuing our guild management series um, and doing sort of a uh, kind of little add-on, um, seeing as how CG has changed the way that crystals are paid out and has added Omicrons. Um, that has sort of changed a little bit of the way that uh, people may choose to manage their guild. So we kind of wanted to get some voices in here today to kind of talk about how um, how crystal payout and Omicrons have kind of changed the way that we uh, manage our guild. Um, Rem, did you have thoughts you wanted to give first on that? Yeah. Uh, you know, in our past discussions, we had, uh, we had always argued that tournament battles is kind of what you design your guild management around but you need to always allow room for your members to be able to prioritize uh, arena because that's where they got their crystals from and asking them to build teams uh, directly for tournament battles while ignoring their arena was not going to be productive for your guild so you needed to give them the freedom to prioritize their arena while still being effective within TB. Well, that's changed now uh, because they no longer get crystals from arena. Uh, that comes from uh, GAC. So that also changes a little bit of the concepts of how you start managing your guild and what you expect from them. Lab, what's been your experience uh, as this change has occurred? Well, um, I, I really do. When I when they first announced the change, I was I was hugely in favor of it. Uh, of course, I'm a big GAC nerd myself, so it was going to a mode that I was already putting in a lot of effort and time into. So, um, I was a huge fan of it at the time. I'm still a huge fan of it now. Um, I think that there are many many benefits to doing it this way both for CG and uh, game health, as well as for uh, the player's time. Um, and really the, the biggest thing, <laughs> the biggest quality of life change that they could have made was this for me. Uh, and the fact that I don't have to be locked to my phone at a specific two-hour time slot in the evening every single night uh, yes. for the rest of my days until I stop playing this game. So uh, <laughs> love the change in that regard and uh, definitely has shaken up quite a few things uh, within it. So how do you think it's changed uh, advice you would give to players within your guild on how to build their squads? Hmm. Well, so uh, I, is there a meta now? Or is it more, you know, you can maximize the roster that you have uh, rather than having to constantly chase? And, and I get it. You play at the upper echelons of the game, so you're constantly having to chase. But we're talking for the average player. 
Sure. So um, I think that it would be beneficial for the average listener for me to uh, maybe define exactly what a territory war looks like in Mandalore uh, so that they can understand what we ask of our players uh, and what kind of effects it makes on the guild itself. Um, so basically a very quick rundown would be something like this. Mandalore competes uh, at the next to highest level, usually. And we, uh, every now and then, when we get unlucky in matchmaking, we compete at the very highest level. So if you think about the very tip-top guilds in this game, there are at least two of them that have crested 500 million GP. Uh, we have fought one of them in the last two months. We got slaughtered. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's, there are about, I would say there are about 10 guilds in that tier. Typically, they just fight amongst themselves, but because of the way that matchmaking works, sometimes they dip into our tier. Um, our tier is the place where the 420-ish million GP guilds hang out. Uh, a guild that size can have different levels of competitiveness depending on you know what the guild focuses on, but typically... The guilds that we face have about, let's see, there are, there's a possibility of 300 GLs in a guild. And typically we'll face guilds that have about 280 uh, GLs overall. So we're not playing the, the mighty wallets or, or the, uh, the Caw Patrols of the game, but... Uh, there are plenty of guilds out there like us that pretty much pretty much have all the toys. Not anything crazy like Relic 8, Mission, and Zalbar, but all of the high-functioning uh, characters in Territory Wars, uh, these guilds tend to have relic and relic well and modded well. So that's where we compete. Um, it's not really something that, I mean, I've, I've tried to describe it to you. It's not really something that you can actually <laughs> fully understand unless you're actually in the, the competitive environment yourself and you see what it's like. Um, I, I really enjoy it. I thrive on it. Um, and most of our players are the same way. They, they really like to compete at this high level. And uh, um, it's, it's a perfect level where you don't have to be completely crazy and hardcore with the way that you manage your territory boards and, and your your players rosters and their mods um, to still do well uh, if you if you strategize well and have good guild leadership and organization so that was a very long-winded way to <laughs> uh, open up <laughs> to set the stage for answering the question wasn't it yeah. um, well, so to give you a little perspective, uh, Mustafar, which plays, we're about to hit 350 million. We typically see on average, what would you say, Brax, around 60 to 80 GLs right now? Roughly, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's definitely a big jump up from our level to uh, the level that you're playing at. And I can tell you, you know, I... I run um, Jeddah, which is a 120 million GP guild, 
and we're typically facing only about seven to eight geo. So that's kind of you're getting sort of a range of of what people are facing. But the real question comes down to is so what is uh, how do you recommend your current players build their guilds now or build their rosters now that arena is no longer the sole focus where you're constantly building towards this one meta you have this much more diverse uh, situation in order to get your crystals yep it's a it's a great question and um that now that uh, now that i've set the stage i think that my answer will be a lot more reasonable um the the thing that we try to impress on our members is if you don't have all six GLs, except for very specific uh, exceptions, you should be going for a GL. And we don't even care which one, <laughs> although most of our members have five of them um, at minimum right now, so they really don't have any more choices. But... Um, but yeah, if you're if you don't have all six GLs, you're going for GLs because, as everybody in this game who has played it at any amount of time knows, there's not really a substitute for having a GL on your roster, whether it's in Grand Arena or Territory War, or even Territory Battles for that matter. Any mode of the game where you're competing and trying to do your best, the GLs are going to get you the furthest. So that's first and foremost how we're uh, recommending our players to to build out the roster. And I mean. At our level, that's what players naturally are going to do anyways. That's what the GAC environment is really kind of forcing on us anyways, so, especially with 3v3 around the corner. You guys thought 5v5 was bad. Just wait. <laughs> In kind of going back to territory war for a minute, just for perspective, like how many teams are you guys needing to field um, per slice at that level? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that's another good question. A lot of people may not realize that uh, at our level, we uh, we set fifty teams per zone. So that is eight zones of fifty teams, four hundred ground teams, and one hundred fleets. And uh, most most of the time, you know, there's at least one of the two guilds goes in like one or two people under undersized. So it usually ends up being like forty nine or forty eight per zone. But, you know, the percentage is almost exactly the same. It's like almost 400 squads, almost 100 fleets. So it's definitely a benefit to having a deep roster at that point because, I mean, it's, it's not like you've, it's, you know, it's not like you've got players that can fill two different slices with the same team because you're using all of that team typically in one slice, I assume. Yes, that's right. Um, more often than not, our defensive zones will all look very monochromatic. So if we're setting an SLKR zone, we'll have 49 SLKRs in that zone. If we're, you know, if we're setting a Darth Revan zone, we're going to have 49 Darth Revans in that zone. Um, so yes, you're right. It, it, roster depth is a huge part of being successful at this level. 
it can't just be GLs. Um, it does have to be the A and some of the B tier teams do need to be well-developed as well. Well, and so that's where I was going to go next. I mean, obviously, within the world you're playing in, uh, it's kind of assumed that everyone already has most of the other great teams. Um, so, for instance, myself, I've actually, I'm, you know, I not would not qualify for Mandalore. I might have back in the day, but not today. Um, I had to take a step back. And while I'd love to have the next GL, I am starting to work on uh, a, an Imperial Trooper team. Um, I'm, I'm trying to, to, to fill out some of that depth of roster that you were talking about that doesn't, that you actually need to be successful in, in your GAC and in your, you know, uh, other the other game modes, which we'll get to here in a moment. Uh, it's sort of now become a, a a bigger picture than what it used to be of always focus the meta. Would you not agree? Absolutely. I, I'm glad you brought that up because I don't want to sound like GLs are the end all be all of upper uh, level gameplay. In fact, more often than not, because, um, you know, <laughs> we fight three or four zones of DLs every single territory war. We all know, like, what the counters are. We know how to handle them. We're familiar with the fights. We fight them all the time. Typically, uh, a lot of times what separates the winners and the losers in territory war in our division is those secondary teams. Like, did you, like, can you take out a whole wall of gas with your CLS teams? Do you have the speed on your troopers to be able to handle the Darth Revan wall that they set? Those sorts of things make a huge difference uh, in, in, at our level of play. So, yeah, it's it's definitely a balance. It's not just about chasing GLs. Like, we have to have those A-tier teams. We have to have troopers. We have to have CLS. We have to, ha we have to be able to field two full teams of Jedi after JMK takes his, his slice like all of the GR Jedi that he wants. We have to be able to field 10 other Jedi. Uh, and that's minimum. So yeah, uh, it's definitely a balance. And uh, really what, what determines what people need to focus on is uh, how much of those super important teams are they missing? Uh, because um, there are definitely some players in our guild who are lower GP, like myself, for instance, we have to be very careful with our resources. We have to upgrade certain teams and we have to leave the certain other more luxury teams alone for a while because we just don't have the resources to be able to fill out the other squads if we, if we don't do that. So uh, yeah, huge balance. And, uh, and, and it can, it can get a little hairy, especially when so many marquees are being released uh, kind of like uh, at this current time. Yeah. yeah, no, it gets uh, a, a little stressful because you're like, ah, I just, I, I can't afford to start farming these tunes yet because I need to finish off these other farms that I'm working on. Yep. Okay, so again, this is a guild management series. How is your guild managing that? Yeah, so um, it's... 
Fortunately, it's more simple. At least, fortunately for us, it's more simple than you might think. Um, typically, our guild philosophy is we go out and we recruit and find players who are competitive and want to play uh, at the top level, let's say. Um, and our our success really in all ter- in all areas of the game but especially in territory wars over the last 9 months or so since the droid brains have been added to the reward pool has really allowed us to recruit those types of players much more easily um and so i find that we don't have to Set to use a heavy hand, let's say, um, in our guild farming recommendations slash requirements. Now, with that being said, territory war meta does change, and I have found myself at times making an announcement to the guild, and we've never hard required anything because we have a great group of guys who and several ladies as well, who understand and accept the fact that there are going to be times when they need to sacrifice what is good for their personal GAC account in order to do well in Territory Wars as a guild. And so there have been a few times when I've made an announcement and said things like, hey, we really need to mod X team a certain way please do everything in your power to get this character up to X speed. Or, hey guys, you know that Omicron that Mara Jade has that's uh, worthless in GAC? Well, it's really, really good in Territory War, and I would like for all of you to strongly consider applying it. And uh, like I said, we've got a great group of players. We have almost 50 Mara Jade Omicrons. I I haven't counted, I I didn't look to see how many we have, um, because I know it's a lot. Um, I think we only have a handful of players who have not applied that Omicron. And it's it's really paid off well for Territory Wars. So um, to answer your question, we've created the environment where we can attract the players who are willing to sacrifice and who trust my judgment to where they know that I will not ask them to do something unless it is actually worth the resource investment and the sacrifice that they'll have to make to do it. And so they pretty much just do whatever I tell them. So, Lab, would you say I kind of once you once we get past that 300 million mark, I, I think the, the TW focus changes. Um, only because the like the fact that you can only get droid brains from that from from territory wars, and I I feel like the the focus changes. So, would you if you were in a guild that maybe wasn't able to reach that three hundred million mark, would you would you probably put less emphasis on territory wars at that point? It's, it's a good, uh, deep philosophical question, I think. And the short answer is yes. 
but the reason is because I think we already hinted at it earlier that since GAC has such a um, a high amount of crystal income for uh, for players now, it's very important that we give enough room as guild leaders to um, for players to maximize their their income there because you know we're going to see returns from that too. Players get more income, they get to grow faster and become stronger. Guild becomes stronger because it's made of those individual players. Um, there's definitely a very logarithmic increase in returns once you get past that 300 million GP mark in Territory War. Because the first droid, uh, the, the first R9 that you can apply, it, and um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on record here as saying that it should be Jedi Master Luke for everybody even even those fleet guys they should wait do jedi master leak first because it's such a transformative piece of gear that he gets um but anyways um the the ability to place those first couple of r9s is transformative to the guild's ability to compete in grand arena so I, I would argue that once you crest a certain GP threshold, that it's actually benefiting you to play some of those Territory War Omicrons so that you can get those droid brains faster, so that you can do better in GAC. Um, below 300, I don't want to say that Territory War doesn't matter, because it does. Um, There's always a pride factor involved. Yes, but it does matter a lot less, objectively speaking. Um, and so, from a standpoint. Yeah, mostly yeah. from a reward standpoint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I would say that for players who are comfortably in Kyber 1, adding another GAC Omicron does absolutely nothing for your income. Because no matter how many GAC Omicrons you're placing, unless you're in the top eight that win over 50% of the time over a long period of time, you're getting, you're getting six, six and six on average over your GAC season. That's just how it is. No matter how much effort you put into it, how little effort you put into it, you're getting six and six over the course of a long period of time. Statistically, that's just how this this ranking works so if you're already in kyber one there's no increase to your income at all but, by applying but, but, but let's be honest uh, let's say you're not kyber one which majority of our members are not yeah. One. Yeah. Um, you know you're pushing for that slkr team yeah. uh wouldn't it I would argue, and this is the argument I'm going to make as we, we push this forward, for players like them, putting it on Phasma may benefit the guild, but does it necessarily benefit your growth? Yes, I, I would agree. Um, 
And, and that was kind of the point that I was getting to was that if you're not in Kyber one, then Omicron's on GAC characters make total sense, total and complete sense. Um, and, and that's where I, I mean, obviously you want to be a good guild member. And so, and, and you should, you should listen to your guild leaders. Um, if you're comfortable and enjoy where you're at and you want to like be to continue to be in, in the guild over a long period of time and like have the camaraderie and everything that is associated with being in that guild. You should listen to your guild leaders. If they ask you to apply an Omicron, you should seriously consider it. But you're right. If you're not in Kyber 1, GAC Omicrons are better than TW Omicrons. Because it basically gives you a de facto GL within that environment. Um, you could argue the same in TW, but as we just discussed, the rewards aren't uh, equal. They're... Yep. Uh, you know, so it does change as guilds grow and become larger. I agree. Now, there is one other argument to be made in favor of TW Omicrons, and I'll make it here. Um, remember that as as you grow as a player, some players outgrow their current guilds. They they grow at a faster rate than their guild is growing and that's fine that happens all the time if that is something that you find yourself doing um i would be careful about applying um a bunch of gac omicrons and neglecting territory omicrons and the reason is this let's say you're in a 280 million gp guild and you're growing faster and you, you, you've stuck around for a couple of months and you really, really, really want to be more competitive. Your guild's not taking territory war very seriously. And you're, the way that you play the game, you really want to be in a higher competitive TW environment. So you say, well, my account is kind of bigger than the average of my current guild mates. So I'm going to shop around for, say, a 340 million GP guild and see what I can do. Now that's great, but if you're looking for a guild that takes territory war seriously, guess what one of the first things is that they're going to check on your account before they decide to take you? Your Omicrons. That's right. How many territory war Omicrons does this player have? Or more importantly, which Omicrons does this, does this player have? So like, not all territory war Omicrons are created equal, obviously. There are going to be there's going to be a lot more emphasis on if you have Boba Fett's leadership Omicron and Mara Jade's Omicron than if you have Hera's and Bazaar. But just keep that in mind. If you're a growing player, you think you might want to change to a more competitive territory war guild in the future. If you don't want to apply the Omicrons, that's fine, but keep them banked. So that if you apply and then as, hey, sorry, I mean, we'd love to have you, but you're missing three Omicrons that we require. You say, oh, no problem. Got those banked right here. I'll apply them today. Something like that. So anyways, that's the argument for Territory War Omicrons in a mid-game player account. It doesn't fit for everybody, but it's definitely something to think about for some players. 
Can we all agree that TB Omicrons are not really uh, by a, or a place you should be focusing towards? Uh, in the current state of the game, yes. If CG releases a new TB with greater rewards, all of a sudden they might they might become a lot more valuable. No, another no, reason. Sure. Okay. Right. I, I, I guess what I I was stating is in the current state of the game, you don't need those Omnicrons to be successful in TB. Uh, Correct. You can. They're much more valuable in, in either GAC, which I think, let's say, probably 60% of the players within our alliance would benefit from GAC because not everyone is as competitive uh, and, and is at that point where they're going after brains and trying where PW are a big deal. But it's really GAC or TW. It, it, uh, TB, unfortunately, you can get there through just normal farming and be competitive and, and functional. I think, I think the sort of to simplify our thought process here is that by, by focusing your Omicron's GAC when you are sub 300 million um, will benefit your PW. But then when you are above 300 million, then your Omicron's being focused TW will actually help your GAC. Yeah, I, I think that's a reasonable way to say it. Um, and especially if you're a big spender. Uh, so like we have several accounts in Mandalore that are big spenders. And the better we do in TW, the more R9s they can apply. They, because they, they actually have the resources to apply more R9s than we have droid brains for, believe it or not. No, no, I, that doesn't shock me whatsoever. Uh, the question comes down to how many tunes in the game are significantly benefiting by being R9. Um, you would have to define significantly, but I think you'd be—I think you'd be surprised by the answer. It's been mostly tanks, hasn't it? Yes. Yeah, tanks are the ones who've been benefiting by R nine, but we all know that R ten is right around the corner. It's going to happen. You can't get R ten if you don't have R nine. So there is a bigger conversation to you know, regarding the future. And I understand how high, higher level guilds are having these conversations, but I'm trying to, to also remind that, you know, we are, we are talking to the full range of the Alliance and of players in this game that aren't, you know, many of which don't even have an R8 yet. So we have to keep things in perspective. Well, if I, I have to say, if they go Relic 10, they have to open up Relic 9 somehow instead of hiding. I mean, because basically, unless you're in a 300 million plus guild, you don't even have an opportunity for Relic 9, let alone Relic 10 at that point. 
they will they will 100% do that uh, because that's what they did with relic eight materials. They they gated them behind C pit for a while, and then once R nine hit, they opened it up, and now you can purchase arrow magnifiers by crystals in the weekly shop. They will do the same with joy brains, I'm sure. Okay, so I think we're at the point to sort of kind of wrap up the conversation. Would you not agree, Brax, and kind of uh, give the overriding concept that we're trying to throw out? Yeah, so, you know, going back to the whole guild management portion of this and that uh, I think that as a, uh, as a, a leader, as an officer in a guild, you have to determine like what is best for your guild um and obviously where you're at as far as gp wise and everything uh, we've seen that that will um, probably help determine a little bit of where your focus can be um you know i i just speaking personally i would uh i i would never uh want somebody to uh, to require a everybody get this Omicron or anything like that. But I think um, that by explaining to your guilds um, why, how each of those Omicrons will impact um, the individual and the guild, um, I think by spelling that out for them, um, hopefully you can, you know, push them in the right direction and, uh, and get everybody focused on what um, you want the guild to, to grow in. Yeah, I uh, I would basically say in the early days of the guild, your focus should be on building still towards TB and the previous guild management series that we had thrown out. I, I think is still one you can follow pretty solidly, but just understanding that you know the crystals have moved from arena to GAC, which gives you a little bit more freedom. Uh, as to what you can request from your guild members, meaning you can push for, say, a Geonosian team in the very early days of the guild. You can you you can look at trying to build out uh, a wider roster, but things change, and as you get deeper, TB should just be a natural growth from efforts that players are making and maybe your focus needs to start going elsewhere it it is not just a one-size-fits-all situation anymore lab um yeah i i definitely agree with both of those points that you guys just made i would also uh, ostensibly we have people who are guild leaders who are listening to this podcast and uh, I would throw out that your guild members are going to have uh, quite a bit of trust in you, uh, at least initially. But you only have a certain amount of, say, uh, good faith uh, that, your, that your members will extend to you before they'll start questioning you. So I would just caution you, make sure that when you decide to ask for something, that it is worth the, the the cost and the sacrifice to each member and that you can point back to it at a later date and be like, hey guys, um, 
I, I asked this from you and you guys delivered and here's where we are as a result of it. Here's the tangible growth that we received. And that way it, it kind of creates a positive feedback loop and allows you to have the, uh, um, the credit, uh, let's say, to be able to ask for things again in the future. Absolutely. I completely agree. And um, I think that's sort of the mantra that Brax and I have always lived by. Yeah, I, you know, I think we try to make decisions that are best for the guild as a whole. And obviously, uh, each individual player's um, growth is important. Um, but then also looking at the guild as a whole and uh, how we can continue to grow individuals to grow the guild um, and then just making decisions. And then, um, you know, kind of back to what we we're talking about there with, with TB, um, you know, as, as your guild is growing, um, there are rewards that, that, you, that your guild will benefit from by, by being pushed to TB. But then as you, as you guys achieve those and get those, then obviously, um, you're, you're building up your rosters for, for TW more and everything like that. And so, um, the TW part or the TB part will benefit the TW part down the road, um, by focusing on that. So, all right. All right. Any final comments? Sounds like we're good. Uh, great to have you on today. Uh, it's been too long since we've talked or put out a joint episode. We probably should be looking at a. Uh, a more general um, discussion about the game as a whole in the soon, not a two MFRM episode, but looking. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. Yeah, it was uh, it was great to be back. Uh, thank you guys for having me. Really appreciate it. All right, and with that, we're going to wrap up this. Um, as always, uh, Rim, thanks a lot, uh, Lab. Appreciate you uh, dropping in tonight and uh, helping uh, push us along. So um, unless you guys have anything else, we will call tonight. It's been fun. Thank you all.